We're going to start today with two bloodbaths, one that is taking place and one that could take place a few months from now. The first one is a bloodbath in the Fox News ratings, and I know that this brings such great pleasure to so many in my audience. Some feel bad, but the most important thing is that this is a bloodbath that is taking place without any government overreach, without any suppression of anybody's speech or anything of the sort. It is a self-inflicted bloodbath for Fox News. Fox News has lost half of its audience since firing Tucker Carlson during that time slot. And there's a lot of different interesting layers to this. And many, many of you have been writing, is this the end of Fox News? Well, no, it's not, it's not the end of Fox News, but is this the end of Fox News as we knew it? Well, that's a different question. And we still have to wait and see the outcomes of multiple additional lawsuits that still remain in play, even though the Dominion lawsuit has been settled for seven hundred eighty seven and a half million dollars. Uh, Salon article. It's a bloodbath. Fox News loses more than half of audience after axing Tucker Carlson. It's not just Tucker's slot, writes the article. Sean Hannity and Laura Ingraham's ratings are falling, too. Hundreds of thousands of Fox News viewers have switched off the channel after the network fired top primetime host Tucker Carlson last Monday. Substitute host Brian Kilmeade garnered 1.3 million audience members during that 8 p.m. time slot, down 56 percent from the 3.05 million viewers who tuned in to watch Carlson last Wednesday, according to Nielsen ratings. The dip allowed MSNBC's Chris Hayes to overtake Fox in ratings, a popularity contest that Carlson used to dominate. The conservative host had an average audience of 3.03 million people for all of 2022. It was the second most popular program on cable after Fox's The Five. It is stunning to me that Fox's The Five is a popular show. It's almost completely unintelligible, but I guess it doesn't really matter when you're talking about Fox News. Okay, we'll get back to that. Uh, when approached for comment, Fox sent a statement saying for 21 years, it's been the most watched cable network and it has a team that's, quote, trusted more by viewers than any other news source. A uh, media reporter Brian Stelter noted in a tweet that Fox's audience ratings plummeted from 2.65 million watching Carlson's final show to 2.59 Monday, 1.7 million Tuesday, 1.3 million Wednesday. What's fascinating about that is that the relatively high ratings on Monday, which was Tucker's first show gone, in other words, Brian Kilmeade's first show as the temporary host there, um, there was a lot of curiosity, sort of like a rubbernecking. How bad is it going to be? It turns out it's really bad. I mean, Kilmeade is not only. Uh, meaningless to listen to, but also extraordinarily unentertaining and uncharismatic. And then a lot of people said, well, if this is the replacement, then I'm out. Um, and uh, it, it sort of has, has gotten worse from there. So let's talk about this in, in a few different contexts. First of all, this isn't one of those. Oh, uh, there's dirty tricks. There, there's free speech suppression and people are being uh, limited by the woke mob or whatever else the case may be, as we have now established ad nauseum. Tucker Carlson had good ratings, but was a huge legal risk for Fox. And remember, Fox is, a, is unique as a cable news network in that it garners the vast majority of its revenues from fees that any of us who have cable pay. Even though I don't watch Fox, I have cable so I can watch the sports and things like that. 
and um, a couple bucks, I guess, somewhere between two and four dollars of my cable subscription goes to Fox News, even though I don't watch Fox News. That makes Fox different than many of these other uh, channels in that the other channels disproportionately rely on ad revenue. So the, the issue with Tucker was not an issue of um, audience. The issue was that he was a huge legal risk. And so what Fox decided to do was to fire Tucker Carlson. And I've already told you the reasons why Tucker's program partially responsible for disseminating the allegedly defamatory content that led to the seven hundred eighty seven million dollar settlement with Dominion, responsible to some degree for the content that led to the ongoing lawsuit from Smartmatic. You have a former staffer of Tucker Carlson's who has filed a lawsuit for alleged discrimination and misogyny, sexism, all sorts of that's a problem. And then you potentially have another forthcoming lawsuit from Ray Epps, who says that Tucker has made his life miserable by uh, playing up a conspiracy conspiracy theory in which Ray Epps is some kind of FBI uh, agent or actor instigating the January 6th riots. So Fox said this is a huge legal headache. Maybe one of the ways we can mitigate the damages we're going to end up having to pay is by saying we've taken care of what was one of the problems that caused these issues for us in the first place. Fine. Fox News did that. No one coerced them into doing that. The viewers are mad and they don't like Brian Kilmeade and everybody is getting to make their own decisions. Nobody's being coerced here. Now, what's the counterpoint to all of this? While it's nice to see Fox suffering, not because we want to see people go hungry or whatever. It's nice to see Fox suffering because they put out such terrible propaganda that is actively damaging and corrosive to American democracy and thinking that it's good that bad content suffer. It's alarming to see that a bunch of Fox's audience is not going to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to get my news from the AP and Reuters and for commentary, listen to, you know, I don't know, something much more moderate, uh, some editorial page or whatever the case may be. A lot of the folks furiously tuning out of Fox News may well end up on even more extreme unhinged media outlets like Newsmax or OAN or who the hell knows what. And the United States has a major problem with people have gotten hooked on this sort of thing. As we've talked before, Fox News, in some senses over the last two years since the 2020 election, became a victim of the monster it created. It knew we now know from text messages that they were perpetuating lies about the 2020 election. They knew Trump didn't really win. They knew that a van with sandwiches wasn't really proof that Trump actually won Michigan or whatever. they knew it. But they also knew their audience, which they've created, expects them to tell those lies. And so now we have a situation where people are addicted to this stuff and they want their manufactured outrage. They want their scapegoats. They want their you know lines like they used to get from Tucker about immigrants make the country dirtier and whatever else the case may be. And this is everywhere. Just the other day I was at a Trader Joe's and there was a young couple there, maybe mid to late 20s. And uh, the the guy it was a, a heterosexual couple, meaning there was a man and a woman and the a man they were out. This is so insane. It sounds made up, but it's all too real. I was looking for a particular type of popsicle that my girlfriend likes. It's it's tangerine and apparently it's seasonal. So I was looking and saying, sir, ma'am, where is it? 
they didn't have it. But in that same freezer area, there's normally mochi. Mochi is delicious, absolutely delicious mochi ice cream. And they were out of the green tea mochi ice cream. And a guy says to his girlfriend, Joe Biden screwed up the dairy supply chain. And that's why there's no effing mochi here. And I said, this has to be a joke. I'm sure this guy's kidding. I'm sure this guy is kidding. And I kind of looked over and he wasn't kidding. OK, this is just a little meaningless anecdote about the type of completely unhinged uh, uh, scapegoating and outrage that the Fox News audience wants. So a real problem for Fox News. I'm sure they will figure it out unless they end up with billions more in settlements. All right, let's now go to some stunning new polling data, which reveals that there could be a brutal 2024 election cycle coming for Republicans. And it is all revealed thanks to a Fox News poll. Now, I want to remind people there's no hypocrisy in saying Fox News content is agit trash that should be flushed down the toilet, but we can look at their polling. Fox News polling is fine. It's relatively well rated and it's it's generally pretty well done. You know, Fox doesn't do the polling itself, just like CNN doesn't do its, its own poll. They hire a polling firm. OK, check this out. And this could really be a preview of what's coming. Uh, Fox poll shows Republicans in for a brutal 2024 election. Even Fox is admitting on air that the policies it pushes aren't all that popular with voters. They put up a poll and good for them for doing it, showing how popular certain proposals to try to mitigate gun violence are with the American people. And these are not shocking numbers to my audience because we've been looking at similar polling data for more than a decade since the Sandy Hook shooting in uh, Connecticut. Background checks for guns. Eighty seven percent of Americans favor that. And, and again, that means in all cases, even interpersonal sales, all transactions must have a background check. Enforce existing gun laws, 81%. You've got to be 21 to buy all guns. That's not the law in a lot of places right now. 81%. Ban assault weapons, 80% favor that. And only 45% believe that more citizens should be carrying guns. This is yet another issue on which the right wing media narrative has lost the average American. Now, obviously, you go to rural northern Indiana, where I've spent some time and you ask people about these things. Very few people will want background checks for guns and they'll mostly be against abortion. Now, that's the other question that this poll looked at. Abortion should be 56 percent say legal and 43 percent say illegal. Now, when you ask the question this way, this is the split 56 to 43. If you actually delve further into this and you explain to people, 99% of abortions happen before I think it's 21 weeks. And you explain more about the reality of abortion. You actually get even more support for abortion just should just flat out be legal before 21 weeks. And yet there are states that have passed abortion bans far earlier than that. So there's a few different things here that I think are important to consider. This isn't really newsworthy in the sense that on policy, Republicans have been losing for a long time. In 2016, Trump eked out Hillary and it came down to under 100,000 votes in three states. But then as the country continued to move more to the left, it actually hurt Republicans in election. The 2018 midterms were not great for Republicans. 
in 2020, they lost even more, including the White House in 2022. It was going to be a red wave. And yet the Democratic majority in the Senate actually grew. It's interesting to have a red wave where Democrats gain seats in the Senate, although they did lose the House. And this all may be culminating in 2024. Now, I'm going to be doing some interesting podcast appearances coming up. And one of the things that I hope comes up is what's at stake in 2024, because we have another third of the Senate up for reelection as we do every two years. That's always the case. We have a presidential election, which may well be a rematch between Joe Biden and Donald Trump. And we will have what I believe will be an inflection point, a fork in the road, whatever metaphor you want to use when it comes to MAGA Trumpism. MAGA Trumpism has hurt Republicans dramatically, but it has hung on thanks to the likes of Lauren Boebert, Marjorie Taylor Greene and some others maintaining their seats in the House and uh, elements of this in the Senate lunatics like Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz, even though Trump insulted Cruz's wife. Uh, Cruz has become a big Trumpism, Trumpism acolyte, etc. Republicans will decide in 2024. Are we sticking with this direction? And potentially losing or are we actually going to go in a different direction altogether? So a ton is up for grabs in 2024. The Republican Party has made politics more important for young people with the issue of abortion. This was the problem we always knew would happen if Roe v. Wade were repealed. Yes, it would energize some people and they will want and try to do even more. But at the same time, you can no longer raise money to try to overturn Roe v. Wade. You have to deal with the consequences of it being gone. And the Republican strategy has always been to present themselves as an opposition to some kind of evil, something scary. Abortion through Roe v. Wade mattered when Roe v. Wade was a thing. You've got to keep the wedge issue to keep voters scared so that they go out and vote with you. They won now. That issue has lots of its power. Now, I know that they've been saying, well, now we need a federal ban on abortion. It's fine that Roe v. Wade was overturned, but now we need to ban ban it outright federally. Short lived, really unpopular idea. It also wouldn't pass because we've got a Democratic Senate. So now they're saying, well, let's focus on trans, anti woke, et cetera. But the polling isn't looking great on that either. So increasingly, they do need to try to steal an election to win one. Trump tried it in 2020 and it didn't work. And we have to make sure it doesn't work in 2024 either. But a potential bloodbath for Republicans coming up in what is now just 18 months. Incredible. If you or one of your parents is starting to lose your hearing, you're not alone. About 48 million Americans have hearing loss and only one in five people who would benefit from using a hearing aid are actually using one. Our sponsors, MD Hearing, create FDA registered rechargeable hearing aids that cost a fraction of what you typically pay. For example, MD Hearing's new Neo model costs less than 10 percent of what those marked up hearing aids are being sold for at most hearing clinics. And the Neo is MD Hearing's smallest hearing aid ever. No one will even know that it's there. I have a close family friend who uses MD Hearing and loves it. She said it performs better than any hearing aid that she's used, and it's far less noticeable. MD Hearing even offers a 45 day risk free trial with a 100% money back guarantee. So you can buy with confidence, and they have a special deal for my audience. 
When you buy a pair of hearing aids, you'll get them for just one forty nine ninety nine each. Plus, they'll include a free extra charging case. Go to mdhearing.com and use the code Pacman. You can find the link in the podcast notes. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact based reporting for some much needed clarity in the finance world, helping you to make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like managing finances with a partner without conflict, making a balanced budget, boosting your credit score, saving more money for retirement, all sorts of really useful topics. Most people in the audience know I'm a big financial literacy advocate. I can tell you NerdWallet does a fantastic job here. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. By now, all of us know how creepy it is to talk to a friend about something and then get ads that are related. When you use a free email service from a big tech corporation, your emails are scanned, even if you're emailing your spouse or your doctor, which is why I recommend Startmail, the email service that never scans or analyzes your email. Our sponsor, Startmail, also lets you create unlimited email address aliases so you don't even have to give out your real email address. This protects you from spam and phishing attacks. Phishing attacks are becoming way more sophisticated with the rise of chat GPT, by the way. Startmail lets you encrypt any email you send, even if the recipient isn't using encryption. Unlike the big tech email services who store even your deleted emails, when you delete an email in Startmail, it is gone. Migrating from your current email service to start mail is just a few clicks. So what are you waiting for? Stop letting big tech corporations spy on your email. My audience gets 50 percent off your first year at startmail.com slash Pacman. That's S-T-A-R-T-M-A-I-L dot com slash Pacman for 50 percent off. You can find the link in the podcast notes. So we have another data point in our building belief that Ron DeSantis simply is not ready for prime time and would completely fail if he did try to run against Donald Trump in the Republican primary, which is not yet a foregone conclusion. We're still going to have to wait and see whether DeSantis chooses to get into this race, a campaign for DeSantis that is rapidly collapsing before it even starts. Ron DeSantis had a complete and total meltdown when asked about this former Guantanamo Bay Detention Center detainee who has claimed that DeSantis observed when he was being tortured. Now, DeSantis for a long time has been saying, no, 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 I wasn't I wasn't in any position of power at the time or whatever. And DeSantis just flips out here. And again, you can tell he is not ready to be confronted with tough, tough questions by journalists. I don't think if this is how he reacts to a simple question and gets so heated and triggered, I don't see how he could possibly uh, succeed on a debate stage with Donald Trump. Check this out. The latest DeSantis off the handle. No, no, not all that's BS. No, totally, totally BS. Who said that? How would they know me? Okay, think about that. Do you honestly believe that's credible? So this is 20, 2006. I'm a junior officer. Do you honestly think that they would have remembered me from Adam? Of course not. They're just trying to get into the news because they know people like you will consume it because it fits your preordained narrative that you're trying to spin. 
focus on the facts and stop working. Attacking the person asking the question about newsworthy claims that have been made is not going to get you a lot of supporters in many circles, including Republican circles. A better thing to do would be to answer the question substantively. The problem is that in 2018, DeSantis also was asked about this, and he sure made it sound like he was very much involved in what was going on at Guantanamo Bay. In a facility, so it's limited, but some of the things they would do, they would do hunger strikes, and you actually had three detainees that committed suicide with hunger strikes. So everything at that time was legal in nature one way or another. So the commander wants to know, well, how do I combat this? So one of the jobs of the legal advisor would be like, hey, you actually can force feed. Here's what you can do. Here's kind of the rules of that. Wow, he certainly seems to know super specifically the exact number of people that were subjected to this, that or the other thing and says he was weighing in with opinions about exactly what to do. So during the feeding, a group of officers arrived with the uh, interpreters, with the interrogators, campus time, medical staff. They were behind the fence. And I saw one of them was uh, Ron DeSantos in a, a military uniform. And he was, while I was screaming, yelling, because I couldn't breathe of the inshore and was like, I was bleeding because they really insert a thick tube through my nose. So I was like calling them, asking, and they, he was actually laughing, looking at the other officers and smiling. All right. Now, could this guy be lying? Absolutely. Absolutely. But the totality of how DeSantis is handling these questions, given his eagerness to show how specifically he knew about every detail of what was being done there. Do we believe that on a place as small as Guantanamo Bay, DeSantis would have been advising about exactly what to do and yet never present at these events? Very difficult to believe. Cut to now getting angry at the reporter for even asking the question. He is not ready for prime time. I hope that he does run because it's abundantly clear that his campaign would be a complete and total humiliating mess. Maybe he can mess up Trump's campaign to some degree. But as far as a serious presidential candidate, DeSantis is truly lacking. Let's now go to another guy who should have no business anywhere near the presidency, Donald Trump. Donald Trump kicked off his New Hampshire wing of the presidential campaign with a speech late last week in that state, in Manchester, New Hampshire. It was one of the most pathetic speeches I can recall from Trump doing the woe is me stuff to a degree I've never seen. Trump's face, as usual, his right eye almost completely swollen shut. Trump seeming agitated and irritated. But hilariously, he kicked off the event announcing this is a major announcement. He is no longer going to use the crooked nickname for Hillary Clinton. He is now going to call Joe Biden crooked Joe Biden, which is just super creative and exciting. But the crowd seemed to like it against crooked Hillary Clinton. But today I'm going to do this. And I think this could be maybe the most important part of what I'm going to say, because this is going to be a major announcement. Are you ready? Is Whoa. everybody ready? I will be retiring the name crooked from Hillary Clinton and her moniker. And I'm going to give her a new name. I don't know, like maybe lovely Hillary or beautiful Hillary. But I'm going to retire the name crooked 
<laughs> so that we can use the name for Joe Biden because he'll be known from now on as Crooked Joe Biden. Just absolutely electrifying the crowd. And of course, uh, as you all know, that'll get six million more people health care. So that's really something that is actionable and important for a presidential candidate to be talking about. Uh, and this was that was one of the better parts of the speech, I hate to tell you. And the New Hampshire crowd, particularly sycophantic, uh, Trump bringing up Kim Jong un, Kim Jong un, and talking about how great of a relationship he had with the dictator. South Korea, we take care of their economy. We take care of everything. By the way, being more critical of South Korea than North Korea here. I think we take care of the military. They're right next door to Kim Jong un. He and I have a very good relationship. People would say it's not good to have a good relationship. Yeah, it's very good to have a good relationship. It really is. But he's not so happy with uh, Biden. He says bad things about Biden. But what I really. Yeah. Trump still seems to think that when dictators like you, it says something good about you. Now, of course, the truth is far more complicated than that. But this idea that we should be concerned that Kim Jong Un doesn't like Biden if it's true, right? Uh, no, we should have been concerned by the degree to which Kim Jong Un felt he could roll right over Trump. And I actually recently read uh, the new Bradley Hope book about North Korea, uh, which I recommend to people. And it actually outlines a lot of the ways in which the Trump foreign policy towards North Korea, to the extent that there was foreign policy rather than tr just Trump's ego running everything um, very much uh, worth reading Bradley Hope's new book about uh, North Korea. Now, at another point during the speech, Trump uh, quotes Lenin and refers to him as Lenin. And this is another one of these things where we just don't really know how Trump gets into this. You know, Lenin, Lenin, did anyone ever hear of Lenin? He said the vote counter is far more important than the candidate. Has anyone ever heard that? Right. Lenin, Lenin, as they say, <laughs> as they say in Russia. I almost thought Trump was going to be quoting some lyrics from the great song Imagine, written, of course, by John Lenin. But he didn't. He was quoting uh, Vladimir Lenin there. Um, Trump seemingly justifying just not debating in the Republican primary. And uh, he talks about how Nixon and Reagan and Bush didn't debate. But of course, you know, it was a completely different situation in that they <laughs> There was not actually a primary in those cases. Listen to this. And th this is Trump starting to pre uh, lay the groundwork to not participate in debates that might not go well for him. Team and they go prevent, say, bet on the opponent. And then they want to do something on the debates. Think of this. They want to debate. They want to have I have people at one half of one percent, one quarter of one percent, one percent, three percent, two percent, four percent, seven percent. And the sanctus is very low and crashing. He's crashing and burning. Don't forget, when he came to me, he was at three percent. So he failed in his campaign. He said, then sir, I endorsed him, which I could have done without. But I endorsed him and he went up a lot. But he went up and he won. But when he came riveting stuff, as you can tell, paid for a long time, he failed. <laughs> and now he's failing again because now he's getting a chance to campaign without Trump, to put it mildly, to put it mildly. But so these debates, you know, uh, Nixon and Reagan and uh, Bush, Bush number one, 
uh, others. <laughs> no, they didn't debate in the primaries. Now, why didn't they debate in the primaries? It was because they were sitting presidents running for reelection. Of course, the difference is Trump is not currently the president, although maybe he thinks he is. Maybe his followers think that he is. So there's an open Republican primary. That's just the reality. Trump then weirdly turns on one of his earliest and strongest supporters, Senator Lindsey Graham, who was recently on TV crying because Trump needed money. Um, he calls Lindsey Graham a progressive. This is a really strange moment. And it's called reciprocal, reciprocal, reciprocal. So if India charges our companies a hundred, we charge their companies a hundred. It's very simple. And yet we have people in Congress that say, no, I don't think that's good. Anybody that says that's no good. Very interesting. Lindsey Graham, the progressive from South Carolina. And the crowd boos. I thought they liked Lindsey. No, he's a progressive, but he's got some good things too, okay? But Lindsey Graham, I said to him, Lindsey, you got to go along with this. We were all set to get it done. You got to go along with this. He says, so let me, let me get this straight. If they charge us, we charge them Sir? the same thing. He said it's not his strength. Other things are his strength. He said, so they charge us, we charge them, same thing, right? Yeah, you got my vote. That's so easy. All right. So I guess Lindsey Graham, you know, when I think of your classic progressive, I, of course, think immediately of Lindsey Graham. Really strange moment. Trump did that disgusting anti transgender weightlifting routine. And this really, really, really titillated the crowd. Probably the most electrifying moment of the speech. Should I do it? Uh, I'm going to do it. All right. That's Trump str visibly straining to lift uh, weights, which is really one of the favorite things. I mean, the, the crowd was pretty dead throughout. So that that uh, wound him up a little bit. Trump did deal with policy, <laughs> sort of dealt with policy by saying he will put in his travel ban again. And he mentions something about you saw that. Right. But of course, it's like never clear what he's talking about. Out of here. And I will restore my travel ban to keep radical Islamic terrorists out of our country. You saw what happened Four years, four years. We went four years. You what? saw that, right? We were very tough on that. We don't want our buildings blown up. We don't want to have problems. The out of here. Uh, so um, Trump <laughs> Trump also took questions, which was hilarious because he didn't answer any of them. Here's someone who asked him. How will you engage with Generation Z voters? And Trump just basically said, oh, we're already doing it. It's like, oh, I all right. Problem solved, I guess. Thank you Trump. very much. God bless you. My name's Christine. I'm from Atkinson, New Hampshire. And engaging with young voters is crucial. Here in New Hampshire, we have American first warriors like Caroline Levitt. Right. How do you plan? How do you plan to engage with Gen Z voters? Well, I think we're doing that. And I tell you what. You would be shocked, like Charlie Kirk and others, the job that they do with their, with their youth. It's a youth movement. It really is. That's another movement. You would be shocked to see how popular we are in college campuses. Much different than what you read. Much yeah. Well, we we actually have the election results from 2020 and 2022. Uh, they are not engaging with Gen Z. And in fact, what's been going on with abortion is probably only going to turn off more Gen Z voters. So a ridiculous speech. But the crowd liked elements of it. So that gets us to our next question. 
who goes to a speech like this? You might be wondering. Trump has an event at 4 p.m. on a Thursday in New Hampshire. Who goes to such a speech in the middle of the workday on a Thursday in New Hampshire? Well, the great thing is we have video of who goes there. Let's take a look. They actually interviewed on right side broadcasting a young guy who says that Trump inspired him to maybe run for office one day at school. They tell him he's he's racist and sexist, but Trump uh, has inspired this kid or something like that. Look at this future leaders of America. So what's your plans? You're the you're, you're the youngest one right now in Connecticut. Uh, where do you see yourself in 10 years? I don't years? even know what that means. I'm the youngest one in Connecticut, but no. Well, I got inspired by a man you know quite well. His name's Donald Trump. Um, and my goal someday is to get higher up in politics. I don't really know where that's going to lead me, but I keep the same principles that he has. Never give up, never give in, never back down. And as a young conservative, I've taken a lot of heat, especially in school. I've been called all the labels, racist, sexist. I've been yelled at by teachers because I stood for the Pledge of Allegiance when no one else would. So I've kind of learned that, especially in Connecticut, which is a quite liberal state, you got to stand for what you believe in. So I'd like to maybe move up and run for office when I'm done pursuing my education, you know, get that degree under your belt and hopefully maybe one day run for a national office. That's, That's what you got to do. I love it. Plus, let's give a good shout out on his outfit here. I love the. Uh, Red pants. The, the kid is wearing um, a blue suit jacket that has white stars on it. It's sort of like a flag version of a suit, I guess. I'm going to move on without any further commentary on this one. I think it's a minor and it's just it all is a little bit icky. But um, I'll just say that that's really, really sad video. They then interviewed another individual who I guess is legally an adult. And this guy says he's an atheist, but he also is a Christian conservative. Very interesting. So if I'm open and honest, I'm an atheist, but uh, I align more closely with a Christian conservative worldview. And mm. so uh, I pretty much support Christian conservatism, that whole that whole moral compass. And so that's what I stand for. Yeah, that, I mean, that's that's really sad in that it is so mixed up and jumbled. I'm an atheist, but the morality of Christian conservatism strikes me as correct. Therefore, I am going to support candidates who actually think that I as an atheist should have a, a subservient or secondary status to them because they believe that we should have a country that is overtly Christian in terms of civil government. It's all really, really whacked. Now, here's my favorite moment from this. OK, there's an remember ivermectin, one of these cures that didn't cure nor prevent covid that was being floated by many on the right. They have a new commercial on right side broadcasting. I guess the guy who recommended ivermectin to Trump has some supplement that will ward off spike protein, which they have. There's almost nothing true. But the funniest part about this is the the broadcaster on right side broadcasting. Her diction is so terrible and she barely even understands what she's reading. And at one point refers to ivermectin as ivervectin. Just I, I can't imagine they sold any of these pills based on this ad. Protein spike protein is the toxic substance that attaches to your cells to allow mRNA to enter. Worse, both covid and the vaccine function <laughs> by using spike proteins to attach to your cells. Many of us have become overloaded with excess spike protein from our surroundings over the past few years and haven't made the connection 
between not feeling 100%. This is, none of this is true. I, I hope I want to make really clear. None of this is true. It's a grift on a grift on a grift on a grift and spike protein overload. This is a sad reality that we all have to address. Fortunately, there is help. The chief medical board at the wellness company, including Dr. Peter McCullough, the doctor that recommended ivervectin. Ivervectin. Remember when we took ivervectin, guys? And hydroxychloroquine to President Trump back in 2020, as well as renowned epidemic. All right. So they're selling a pill that from the guy who brought you ivervectin, they have a pill to get rid of spike protein that you might have absorbed from Bananas in the grocery store. It's just the spike is all in our environment, which is really, really crazy. Then they got back to interviewing people. They found a guy at the Trump rally who remember the Trump rally was in Manchester, New Hampshire. He came up from New Jersey because he believes Trump was sent by God. I think it's very important to, su to support Donald Trump. Uh, uh, if not, our nation goes down. I believe he was sent by God to preserve Abraham Lincoln's promise that a, a, a government of the people and by the people and for the people will not perish. But I think it's rather ironic because I remember, probably nobody else knows this, this armory in 1976, I was here when I was in high school, mm. and this, here's, this is where Ronald Reagan gave his speech announcing that he was primarying President Ford. All right, so a bit of a history lesson, and then the same guy mentions that he would also be willing to take a bullet for Trump and says a lot of the people at the rally would uh, my, my support uh, my support of, of Donald Trump is unwavering I would take a bullet for the man seriously and a lot of us would and we're gonna even if they wouldn't put him on the ballot we'd write him in there you go totally normal stuff and by the way let's hope that it is a write-in campaign that somehow Trump loses the primary and these folks write him in it would a guarantee that Donald Trump loses all right last thing and then we're gonna move on some people at this rally, just a random lame rally where Trump gave the same speech he always gives with a little bit of additional hysteria. Uh, people camped out overnight after driving up from Florida. Born to ride for 45 is here. We came. I came from Florida. 60th Trump event. We love Trump. A lot of us come across the country to come see the greatest president ever, Donald J. Trump. That's absolutely right. I'm from Tennessee. Got here last night. Flew in. Oh, she's when you guys got here. Was there anybody else in line or? Oh, yeah, they set up the tent over here and stuff. Well, let's go. Four o'clock yesterday. Let's go in here real quickly. We heard you guys were here at four o'clock yesterday setting up a, a tent. Where are you from? Where are you from, my man? I'm from New York City, the Bronx. The Bronx came all the way down here for President Trump. Of course. All right. So listen, it's a cult. We shouldn't for a moment think that the cult has diminished as we head into 24. What we have to hope for and push for is that a lot of them are just bored because politics was just a shiny object and now they moved on and that others will be tied up with something else and just won't be as engaged with the exact same Trump message that he's been using for six years now. Uh, and that on turnout, we end up preventing Trump from getting back into the Oval Office. But for if, if for a second you believe the hardcore cultists are any less interested let those interviews be proof that that is very, very much not the case. When you're using websites and apps, your device sends out data about you into the open, who you are, where you go, things you like. That data then gets sold around for advertising purposes, which is why every time I connect to the Internet, I use a VPN to hide my IP address and our sponsor private Internet access is the most trustworthy VPN on the market. It's the only VPN that has proven multiple times in court they don't log your activity. 
Private Internet access protects you from the prying eyes of hackers, your Internet service provider, tech companies. Private Internet access is also super fast for streaming and for downloads. You can watch your favorite streaming platforms as if you're in another country like the UK to access cool new content. And with just one account, you can protect unlimited devices all at the same time. This is really a game changer. Private Internet access is giving my audience 83 percent off. That's 203 a month plus four months free. Go to piavpn.com slash David. The link is in the podcast notes. One of the best ways to support this show is by supporting our sponsors. Today, one of those sponsors is Sheath Underwear. It is spring. Temperatures are rising. Many of us know all too well about the sweating and the sticking and the chafing. But that's only when you use traditional underwear. When you use sheath underwear, it's no longer a problem. Sheath underwear is ergonomically designed with separate compartments in the front to keep everything dry, cool and separate and to keep you comfortable. They come in a zillion different designs, something for everybody. The quality is amazing, super long lasting. Put an end to the readjusting and the sweating and the shifting uncomfortably. Sheath underwear is really a lifesaver. You will thank yourself. It's a unique product. You've got to try at least once to see for yourself. And my audience gets 20% off with code Pacman. Go to sheathunderwear.com slash Pacman. That's S H E A T H underwear.com slash Pacman. Use the code Pacman for 20% off. The link is in the podcast notes. Rudy Giuliani appeared to admit how in the 1993 mayoral election in New York City, which he won, he used what he calls a trick to suppress the Hispanic vote, except for the life of me. I can't actually understand what the hell he's talking about, because undocumented immigrants can't vote. They can't register to vote. They're not citizens. So the backstory on this election is that Rudy Giuliani won the 1993 New York City mayoral election by about 50,000 votes, and he became the first Republican elected mayor of New York City at that point since John Lindsay in 1965. John Lindsay in 65 was a Republican. Then it was a bunch of Democrats in New York City as mayor. And then we got Rudy Giuliani in 1993. So we're going to take a look at a clip. Giuliani is on. I guess this is Steve Bannon's show and he's sitting between Steve Bannon and Carrie Lake and he explains the trick that they used. OK, take a listen to this. It created a deterrent effect. The fact that we did it and John and I were talking about that today, the fact that we were doing it, we made it very public that we were doing it. And then I'll tell you one little dirty yes, trick. That okay. we played. Okay. One little dirty a trick. Dirty trick in New York. Dirty, I'm, yeah, dirty, dirty trick, trick in New York. I'm no, so but shy. Played by Republicans. By Republicans. Republicans don't know dirty tricks. How about this one? Okay, give it. So to they me. they went through East Harlem, which is all Hispanic, and they gave out they gave out they gave out little cards, and the card said, "If you come to vote, make sure you have your green card because INS are picking up illegals." Oh my gosh! So the they spread they it all over the Hispanic. Yeah. After the election, the Clinton uh, Civil Rights Division investigated me. I was on vacation after the election, and I get a call from my lawyer, Denny Young, and he says, uh, uh, Rudy, we got a, uh, the Justice Department's investigating us. Uh, Janet Reno's coming after us. Uh, uh -oh. We violated civil <laughs> rights. I said, Denny, you're a lawyer. Think about it. 
What civil rights do we violate? They don't have civil rights. But we all we did is prevent people who can't vote from voting. Yeah. Maybe we tricked them, but trick tricking is not a crime. Oh, and, and in those days, we didn't have crazy prosecutors. Nowadays, they probably prosecute you for it, even though it isn't. <laughs> and that, that's the way we kept down the Hispanic mm. vote. What a powerful story, huh? How Rudy miraculously, heroically and bravely suppressed the Hispanic vote in 1993. Now, there's two stories. Is this a logical strategy and did it actually happen? So the one issue with it as a strategy, of course, is undocumented immigrants can't vote. They can't register to vote. So I guess the idea here was. Even if you're so like, I actually don't understand whether this is the thing where they wrongly believe undocumented immigrants vote, because remember, undocumented immigrants can't even get on the voter rolls because only citizens can vote. Do they wrongly believe undocumented immigrants are voting? Or is the idea that they wanted to trick legal immigrants into thinking if I don't bring documentation that I'm here legally, they might just because of my appearance think I'm here illegally. And if I don't have my papers on me, then all of a sudden I'll get in trouble and I won't be able to vote. So that sounds complicated. So I'll just stay home. Like it, it's actually hard to know exactly what the idea is, but it does seem as though this was a thing. I reviewed some documents. There is a document um, from what from the Department of Justice from contemporaneous to when this was going on, which says the Department of Justice and the FBI are conducting an investigation to determine who prepared and posted these notices. And this refers to again, you go back to a 1993 Washington Post article. It says um, justice said to be probing New York vote suppression. Justice Department officials are investigating complaints of efforts to keep voting down in Democratic leaning minority neighborhoods in the New York City mayoral election, according to sources involved. Black Mayor David Dinkins, Democrat, was defeated by Republican challenger Rudolph Giuliani in a in a contest that produced perhaps the most racially polarized voting pattern in the city's history. Among the complaints are the placing of signs on telephone poles and walls in Latino areas warning, quote, federal authorities and immigration officials will be at all election sites. Immigration officials will be at locations to arrest and deport undocumented illegal voters. This is the key line. It is unclear how the signs would intimidate naturalized U.S. citizens, the only immigrants eligible to vote. So the article accurately identifies you're going to intimidate people who can't vote anyway. Now, with what is it, 30 years of hindsight, we now understand where this went. 1993, Rudy did this in the New York City mayoral. 1994, this new wave of Gingrich Republicanism took over the House of Representatives, and it's been a path from that to where we are today. Republicans that blame society's problems on scapegoats, immigrants from Latin America being a very popular one. They've now shifted to, well, we'll, we'll blame it on trans people, Marxists who don't exist or whatever else the case may be. But it's all that same idea. And you can find it back then. The um, he. He's telling us that he did it. He's admitting to the entire thing, and it is wild and wacky stuff. I am going to admit to you this next story is a little bit confusing. The story is about a Montana Republican lawmaker who seemingly suggested during a floor speech that she'd rather her daughter kill herself than transition to being a trans male. Now, the confusing part of this is we don't know whether this woman's daughter actually is trans or has expressed 
uh, symptoms of gender dysphoria. We we just don't know because the clip is confusing. This is state representative from Montana, Carrie Seekins Crow. Doesn't say her daughter is trans, but says her daughter is or was suicidal for three years and that she would rather her daughter be suicidal than um, do the emotional manipulation that I guess she considers claiming to feel as though you're a different gender would be in her mind. It, it's definitely disgusting. It's obviously uh, the type of thing someone who shouldn't be a parent says. But it is a little bit confusing. Let's listen. One of the big issues that we have heard today and we've talked about lately is that that without surgery, the risk of suicide goes way up. Well, I am one of those parents who lived with a daughter who was suicidal for three years. Okay. Someone once asked me, wouldn't I just do anything to help save her? And I really had to think. The answer was no. And the answer was no. <laughs> there you go. I was not going to give in to her man emotional manipulation because she was incapable of making those decisions and I had to make those decisions for her. I was not going to let her tear apart my family and I was not going to let her tear apart me because I had to be strong for her. I had to have a vision for her life when she had none, was incapable of having none. So. She doesn't straight up say my daughter expressed that she's trans, but she said it was an emotional manipulation. And if your child is suicidal and you call it an emotional manipulation, whether they're trans or not, that's really something else. And remember, these are the folks who want to decide who should and shouldn't be parenting children, right? These are the same folks who then will say, you know, I don't think a gay couple should adopt or shouldn't, or shouldn't be able to, you know, uh, work with a surrogate or whatever. These are the folks who want to tell everybody else how you shouldn't, who shouldn't, shouldn't be allowed to parent. This is like Westboro Baptist Church level stuff. There is something called narcissistic parenting, and you can Google this and read a lot about it. When a narcissist focuses their lack of empathy and their delusions of grandeur towards their child, that's narcissistic parenting. And sometimes narcissistic parents view their child as an extension of themselves of themselves. So therefore they say, well, the child exists for my needs. And therefore I'm going to say something like, oh, you're suicidal. Oh, you're saying that you're trans. That's an emotional manipulation. I'm going to decide for you this, that, the other thing based on what I think is best for me right now. Whatever the full details of this story are, a disgusting woman who no doubt claims to have the moral majority. It's April, which means Earth Month is here. This is the time to consider the products you buy and the impact they have on our planet. So if you're still using conventional toilet paper in your home, there's no better time to switch to Reels 100% bamboo toilet paper. 30 million trees are destroyed every year for toilet paper in the US alone. Real paper makes toilet paper from 100% bamboo stocks, which grow forever, no cutting down trees. So when you use real, it doesn't feel like you're sacrificing anything to help the earth. Real paper is soft and fluffy the way you're used to. It's always shipped free to my door in plastic free packaging. I can schedule it on a subscription if I want. 
and real is partnered with one tree planted and with every box of real paper you buy, they fund reforestation efforts across the country. Make a positive change this Earth Month. Go to realpaper.com slash Pacman. Use code Pacman for 30% off and free shipping. That's R E E L paper.com slash Pacman. Coupon code Pacman gets you 30% off plus free shipping. The info is in the podcast notes. Fox News host Mark Levin has been doing a series of Sunday night interviews with the failed former president Donald Trump. But last night's was so absurd that Levin couldn't possibly save Trump when Trump raises a conspiracy theory so insane that it obviously doesn't make any sense based on the facts. But it is such a verbal ink blot that you couldn't possibly clean it up. The topic was the pandemic and Chinese tariffs. And Trump's claim is that China made and released covid as punishment to Trump and the United States of America because Trump charged China so much money in tariffs, which ignores the fact that Trump still doesn't understand how tariffs work. Listen to this. This is Mark Levin can't possibly do anything with this to save Trump. China, I was very from I was probably the first one. I said it came from the lab in Wuhan. I knew that. For one thing, you saw body bags all over the place around that lab. You know, there were body bags all over that area and nobody talks about it. But Levin is trying to stay as still as possible to maybe blend into the background and not even be visible. In Wuhan, you had through satellite pictures and other things, you had pictures body bags all over the place and you could see little lines you know from way up but they couldn't be anything else but i said and i've said right from the beginning it was the lab in wuhan it got mm -hmm. out uh it got out of the lab i think it was incompetence i i really believe it was incompetence more you know people said i was charging china so much money in tariffs and taxes that a lot of people said they did it to get me out <laughs> but we did great in that election we did I Understand what Trump is saying. OK, think about how bonkers this is. The tariffs that he was charging China angered them so much that China made and released covid, mostly killing people in other countries. Like, remember, most of the deaths were not in the United States in order to get Trump back. Now, there's a couple little problems with this. One is that's that's not how tariffs work. Trump still doesn't get that when you put tariffs on Chinese products imported to the United States, American companies pay the tariffs. You are charging American companies more. You're not charging China. So it makes no sense on principle. But of course, of the six point eight million official covid deaths only and I say only like it's not a lot, it's an insane number. But the point is, proportionately of the six point eight million covid deaths, only one point one million were in the United States. So China, to get Trump back for tariffs that they didn't actually pay, did something to kill five point seven million people in other countries, including their own, in order to kill some people in the U.S., many after Trump left office as punishment for Trump's tariffs, which they didn't pay. This is so stunning, stunningly stupid that even Mark Levin says nothing and is just motionless like a statue. Trump then brings up Abraham Lincoln and says that he has actually been treated worse than Abraham Lincoln. Remember, Abraham Lincoln was assassinated. Say that Andrew Jackson was the most vilified president. It was his wife died during this thing and they said such horrible things. 
and he had a very tough presidency. He was a very good president. He was a great general and a good president. Um, Abraham Lincoln, they say, was, you know, he had a civil war going. They say it? On, all right. But uh, Abraham Lincoln had, was just vilified. He was, but now they say Trump got treated the worst of all. Really? Because what they did is they came up with phony stuff, Russia, Russia, Russia. It was all hoaxes. Uh, the Mueller witch hunt, which turned out to be no collusion. You know, after two and a half years, no collusion. I right. could have told them that the first day. And they had the laptop. They could have figured that out because on the laptop, if you look at it, you could have figured that out easy. But uh, there's never been anything despite that. Is this the most demented, malignant, narcissist public figure of all time? They say that Trump was treated worse than Lincoln. Lincoln was shot in the head and killed. Trump was investigated for pretty obvious wrongdoing. And then Trump claims that he sent former German Chancellor Angela Merkel a white flag of surrender to symbolize uh, Germany, I guess, surrendering to Russia. I didn't allow Germany to get away with what they were doing. I sent Angela Merkel a white flag of surrender because I said, when you made the deal with Putin, you're getting 68% of your energy from somebody that you had numerous wars with, world wars. I said, so I'm going to give you the white flag. This way you don't have to look it up when you surrender to Russia someday. Yeah, it'd be like the U.S. doing business with Germany, even though in the past we were on opposing sides of a war. Oh, wait a second. We do that all the time. What, what kind of an argument is that? And if you remember, I made a speech at the United Nations and the Russian delegation. That's when everybody laughed and thought it was extremely funny when I mentioned that they shouldn't be doing it. A year later, most of those guys were fired. It was actually the entire room that was laughing at Trump because that speech was so ridiculous. Lastly, Trump takes credit for the Olympics in South Korea being a sellout. It started off rough. Remember that? Uh, I was saying little rocket, rocket man, man, you're not going to get on. And I was saying little rocket man. And he was saying, uh, I've got a red button on my desk and I'm willing to use it. And I say, I have a red button, too, and mine's bigger and mine works and uh, all sorts of things. It was very nasty. And then all of a sudden we get a phone call. They want to meet. And then I made the Olympics successful. Remember in South Korea, <laughs> they were having the Olympics in nine months and nobody was buying a ticket because they didn't want to be have missiles shot at him during the Olympic opening ceremonies. Under, understand what Trump is saying. He's saying the South Korean Olympics would have been a failure had he not met with North Korean dictator Kim Jong Un, because people would have been scared of missile attacks during the Olympics in South Korea. But thanks to Trump meeting with Kim Jong Un, where nothing was accomplished, by the way, that made the South Korean Olympics popular. This is a good time to mention. I mentioned it, it mentioned it earlier in the show. Bradley Hope has a new book called The Rebel in the Kingdom. It's not about Trump. Uh, it's actually about an activist uh, related to North Korea. Fascinating book, extremely well researched. But because of the timing of when the book takes place, there's a lot in the book that explains Trump's total failure when it comes to North Korea. I will admit I learned in the book that some of Trump's instincts from the deal making business world theoretically could have actually been effective with Kim Jong Un. They weren't because Trump's execution was a disaster and it really built up a more nuanced understanding for me of Trump dealing with North Korea. But if you really want to understand again, the book is not mostly about it, but the, and the story will give you an understanding of Trump's failures with North Korea and Kim Jong Un. Get the book, The Rebel in the Kingdom by Bradley Hope. I just finished reading it yesterday. 
We have a voicemail number. That number is two one nine two David P. Here's a caller who doesn't like that we have advertisers and is asking why we have advertisers. Let's listen. Hey, David, I'm just wondering why you dedicate five to ten minutes of every show to your sponsors and trying to sell us stuff. I just think it takes away from the overall message and it makes you look cheap. Um, all right. Ciao. All right. Ciao. Listen, um, so we have advertisers because they generate revenue for the show. And that's why just about any successful show has advertisers. Um, I listen to, you know, Cal Newport's podcast. I listen to podcasts from Argentina. I listen to you. Know, well, they, they all have advertisers and mostly it's the same reason. It's to generate revenue for the show. Our hour show does have about four minutes of ads in it on average. Um, it's a lot less than commercial. You know, commercial TV might have 39 minutes of content and 21 minutes of ads, 17 minutes of ads sometimes. So we have a lot less than that. But the reason we have advertisers is uh, to fund the work that we do. Now, um, I, as I've said before, we estimate around 1%, not even, probably more like three quarters of 1% of our total audience supports us with memberships on our website, around three quarters of 1%. If we were able to grow our direct support from that three quarters of one percent up to like two percent of our audience supporting us directly, then we could do away with all of the advertising on any platform, on every platform. We're not there at this point in time. And so the reason that there are advertisers is to generate revenue. And I think you'll find that that's relatively uncontroversial. We have such a great bonus show for you today. Oh, the bonus show where you want to make money. Yes. Everybody else that makes money to fund themselves is bad. Why do we make money on the bonus show to generate revenue? OK, more people are getting away with murder in the sense that unsolved killings have reached a record high. We're going to talk about it. Number two. Federal prisons want inmates to pay their victims before being allowed to make phone calls or even buy shoes in prison. What we will discuss. And lastly, there is a sperm donor who has fathered 550 children who has been told it's time to stop. The reason why may surprise you, although it may not. All of those stories and more on today's bonus show. Sign up at joinpacman.com. You can use the coupon code 24 starts now to get a tidy little discount. I'll see you then and we'll have a brand new show for you tomorrow.